Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. And you are very welcome to this week's episode of Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. I hope you are safe and well as you tune into the show this week. Coming up a little bit later, we are going to be joined by some transition year students who got in contact with me because they have launched a brand new sustainable mini company in schools. So we're going to be finding out how their business uh, runs and how they're doing a little bit later on. And we are also going to be checking in on the COP in Dubai and um, just getting a little bit of an update. It's still continuing, but getting an update on how things progressed over the course of the past few days there. But you might recall if you were listening to last week's episode of Let's Go Green, I mentioned a new scheme that had been announced by Minister Oisin Smith and Minister Norma Foley to enable schools to put solar panels on their roofs, but not only that, to actually generate an income from the electricity provided. And I did say we would put a request in to get one or other of the ministers in to speak with us. And I'm glad to say that we're joined now by, by not one, but two ministers uh, in a first for Let's Go Green, uh, Minister Oisin Smith and Minister Pippa Hackett. You're both very welcome to Let's Go Green. Good Great. morning. Great to be here. Now, Minister Smith, this programme for schools, this idea of getting solar panels on the roofs of schools, like realistically, it sounds entirely logical. We've hundreds of schools right around the country. They all have roofs. Why not do something with that? How, though, will it work? Well, it's going to be a very, very simple scheme. Every school in the country, the 4,000 schools, the secondary schools, the primary schools, we're going to give them free solar panels and we're going to let them and we're going to pay for the installation as well. So all of these schools will be able to get free solar panels on their roof, making electricity for their school, saving them money and in the summertime, selling the power back to the grid. Now, I know in the initial phase of it, it's not every county, but it is a good selection of counties. There's a good scattering across the country. And um, as an Offaly woman, I'm delighted to see that Offaly has made the, the first round of the scheme. So how do initially, how do you see it kicking off? Do schools need to contact the department or, you know, will there be an application process? Do we know any of those details just yet? Well, I know my, my colleague, uh, Minister Pippa Hackett, has written to all the schools to tell them that they can apply. Every school in, in Offaly can apply. Uh, even if you have solar panels already on your school, you can still apply. Uh, and uh, I suppose that the next thing is that the department has now written to all the principals to tell them this is how you ask for, this is how you ask for solar panels. If you're a student or in one of the schools or if you're a parent for students in a school, go and ask your, your principal and say you'd like to have this because there's no cost to the school at all. Um, the full the cost of the panels the cost of the installation it's all done and it's something that, that I think the, the students are really interested in It is something that I think an awful lot of parents associations around the country will be interested in Minister Hackett like it's you know we all every year every September we hear about the cost of running schools and electricity is a huge part of that you would hope it would, over time, reduce stress on school bodies. Absolutely. And when you look at Offaly, for example, as you say, it's it's one of the counties that's in this first phase of it. Um, there's over 90 schools in Offaly, you know, between primary schools and, and post-primary schools. You know, it's a lot of, of roof space. It's a lot of energy bills there and a lot of expense. Um, when you look at the average um, potential savings here, you're talking maybe in the region of about 1,100 to 1,600 euros per year. Um, you know, and that's, that's a sizable amount of money 
for school. Mm. Again, there's no cost at the start. You know, we, we pay for the installation, we pay for the panels themselves. And I think what's particularly interesting that the students themselves might well enjoy, and I think even the parents as well, um, that there will be software provided. So, you know, everyone can link into potentially their own school and see how the energy use is working, see when, when there's high, you know, high sunshine, high, high energy to be used, when's the best time to use energy. And I think that learning is important, you know, going forward because we are in really in the middle of a sort of solar revolution in Ireland. And the more people that can understand it and, and through schools is, is wonderful for young people, um, the, the better the opportunity for them to maybe look at doing it at home. So I think it's great. I'm of the generation that was still in school when the plastic bags were banned and uh, when we understood more about the evils of smoking and the harms that it causes. And like and I'm around kids on a frequent basis and nothing beats the bluntness of a, a child that has newfound information, Minister Smith. Like it's, you know, it will be, you know, once they figure this out, they will be encouraging mums and dads and yeah. guardians to get in, on board as well. That's part of the idea. And, you know, when I went out to a primary school that had had solar panels installed, the level of enthusiasm from from the, the from mm-hmm. the students and from, and from the teachers was just amazing. So... If you met somebody who has solar panels, they, they often take out their phone and show you their app. Mm-hmm. And they show you how much they generated, right? But at school, it's not, it's not, a, it's not a phone environment. So instead of um, getting the kids to look at an app, there's going to be a screen on the wall in each school showing how much power is being generated that day. And there will be workbooks and education modules for the kids to, to, to learn about what's happening, to look at the weather, see how much power is being generated, get a bit of enthusiasm and learning suggestions, and then come home and hopefully tell mummy and daddy about it and, and get it moving that way. So that's part of the idea of the there is the running joke how do you know a person is a sea swimmer because they'll tell you I, I think the same is happening with solar panels yep. I've noticed yeah. it mm-hmm. with colleagues going they get great kick out of telling the rest of us at coffee time oh look at the amount of electricity I got money for this week and you know um, it's, it is something that people are really getting on board with now how quickly though can something like this be rolled out because I'm assuming you're going to need electricians like people to install them make sure that the, the mm. roof is strong enough to take something being put on top of it. So um, we're doing about 30,000 homes a year at the moment. So it is a, it's a broad programme. And really for any school, it's, it's of the same size of installation as, as a home. So it's really absolutely possible to do this within a year. So that's the plan is to get it done within a year. The first, the first phase includes County Offaly. I'm delighted that they're one of the 11 uh, counties in the, in, the, in the pilot phase. All the other, all the other counties will be done uh, later next year, so okay. it's a it's a it's a one year program. Actually, Pippa, I haven't asked you this, mm-hmm. but you're a farmer. Yes. Um, farmers are putting solar panels on their sheds now. Mm-hmm. Have you got solar panels on your cow sheds? Are we're, you planning to do we, it? We are, we are. We have applied for a TAMS grant for solar. Uh, that's um, through my Department of Agriculture, and uh, yeah, I think uh, we're just about there in terms of the, uh, the the thumbs up for it. So looking forward to seeing that. Yeah. I had uh, Pat McCormack on the show the other week, the president of the ICMSA, and. I think he was saying, you know, from their perspective, it makes complete sense. There's mm-hmm. thousands of farm buildings across the country, far more than there are schools even. And um, But he was raising concerns around just the mechanism of how that system works, that it was, in his view, slightly more taxing than uh, it might be necessary. 
Um, I think it's probably a little bit unfair. I mean, when you look at the grant level and the support for for farmers to put, um, you know, a certain amount of um, solar panels on the roofs. I mean, the the grant levels are, are it's sixty percent, um, and you know that that's a huge saving, especially for farmers who use a lot of energy, like dairy farmers mm-hmm. or, or pig or poultry units as well. Um, but we've, what we've also done now this year is added in the domestic house. So the, what you use in your domestic house can now also be factored in to your farm level. Mm-hmm. And you get that grant rate. You know, the farmers do are getting a really good deal here. You know, even when you compare it to somebody on their domestic home, you know, they, they do get grants, but not to that same level. So I think... Um, can I think they generate income from the electricity that they create? They can't through a TAMS grant because it's specifically for their own use and mm. that's how it's designed and that's how we work out in the department how much they're entitled to, to you know, how big a system up to a maximum they're entitled to put up. Um, but that doesn't stop them putting other solar panels up to feed into the grid. But the bottom line here is, though, and this is across the board, I mean, there's a lot of talk about, you know, getting income back from what you don't use and in schools and that's a it's ideal because it is that summertime when there is high levels of sun that the school doesn't need it. But um, the cheapest energy um, you will you you will use is the stuff you produce yourself. So selling it back into buying it, buying it, you're, you're better off to use all you can yourself. That's going to be the best. And certainly for farmers, if the more they can use of what they generate, that's going to be the cheapest energy they'll ever have. And Pippa's just a reminder for schools that principals and families that might be listening, they would have gotten the communication from yourselves and they just need to make contact to apply to take part in the particular scheme. Absolutely, I think. Yeah, it's very like the Summer Works programme. So schools are used to the idea Mm -hmm. that in the summer they apply for a grant to to fix their roof or to put in new bathrooms. Similar idea. The school just has to go out, get three quotes from, from solar installers, pick the best one, they can draw down, I think, 80% of the grant before they start. They get the rest when, when, when the work is completed. So it's a, it's a process that they're used to. It's very simple. There's very little red tape. It's something that's very simple to do. And I'd encourage any student or any parent to, to go to their principal and say, we'd like to do this in our school. Is there any concern around the availability of skilled workers to do this? Is, like anybody who knows if you have a problem at home getting an electrician in or, you know, th- they are few and far between. They are very busy. So it's a big, it's a big, I, I think we're going to be fine for this. It is a big programme of government to make sure that there are sufficient skills for this. Okay. And I know in Mount Lucas, you know, they have the retrofit training programme. Mm-hmm. We, we, at the start of this government, we worked out we would need 30,000 extra trained people working in the workforce to deliver on the retrofit and the solar. And we've been training up those people mm-hmm. in there are three places I think around the country like Mount Lucas that are training people up for that we're doing more than 3,000 people are, are getting their qualifications so we, we, we so in line with pushing this, these schemes out at the same time we're training people up to do the work so I expect there are going to be the people to do this work and as I understand it the amount of people being trained through Mount Lucas is, is something yeah. like three quarters of the, the, of the, the total people, of the total yeah. being yeah. trained yeah. in the country mm-hmm. so it is obviously you know it's working so often it's a good place for it then. It well is, you yeah. know I always say it is the hidden gem you know but uh, so Minister to move on to a separate topic so the last time you were on the show it was about this time last year and there was a slight bit of disappointment around the deposit return scheme in that a lot of people had campaigned for it and the announcement was made this time last year that it would be a year-long project. Mm-hmm. 
you at the time and I said oh some people aren't all that convinced because they feel cans being kicked down the road you said well if it's not in by Christmas next year Ashling, I'll bring you out to dinner <laughs> now I'm not going to hold you to that I would never do that but you have made the journey to the Midlands this week so while you're here can you give us an update on the deposit return scheme as if bringing you for dinner would be a punishment for me <laughs> <laughs> offer still stands but um, so we're delivering on the 1st of February 1st of February 2024 and you will see in, in your local town in your supermarket you see these machines starting to appear and it's a machine which is just like a machine you might buy a can of fizzy drink out of except in this machine you put an empty can in or an empty bottle and you get money back mm-hmm. and you can take either a credit for the shop or you can take cash so it's something that's going to be all around the country it's going to launch on the 1st of February. It's something that they've had in, a, in a other countries for a long oh, time yeah. before. So it's a proven scheme. Uh, and it's going to bring back, you won't believe this, there are 2 billion cans and bottles used every year in Ireland just for, just for drinks. And we expect that we, we will be bringing back 80%, rising to 90% of the, those cans and bottles. So it's it, the amount of recycling that's going to happen, the reduction in litter on in the fields. You know, when you drive... On, I, I drove here to... to, uh, to to Tullamore today and I could see along the along the, the verges all the cans and bottles mm-hmm. thrown out of windows you know um, that is going to absolutely disappear you know because that's going to be money on the ground and actually people in Tullamore may have noticed that at the Aldi in Tullamore they've built yeah, a bespoke I've, piece there it's, re- it's going to be ready for the 1st of February I've noticed and, that particular supermarket yeah. chain does seem to be ahead of yes, the curve mm-hmm. on that and I think like I remember going on school tours to like you, the continent yeah. as a teenager and like staying with German families and d- taking part mm-hmm. in this as the regular grocery the run on at the weekends. So, you know, we are behind yeah. our, our European neighbours on this. So I think an awful lot of people will be grateful to see it. Um, so you're confident that come 1st February, this will be up and running. Yeah, I've been meeting with all the supermarket chains. They're all 100% sure. Everything's been lined up. Our advertising campaign is is lining up for it. Um, we've got a great uh, we've got a great song to go with it. So right. it's, it's, And you'll, you'll hear that. Endlessly. Can, next can I year. convince you to do a rendition on air? Uh, can you? Can you? <laughs> maybe Pippa can sing. Oh my goodness! Bring it, ba- bring it back by Roisin yeah, Murphy. Yeah, can you sing yeah. a few bars? Well, you can sing it too. Yeah, I'm not bring singing it those. back. <laughs> bring it back. <laughs> bring it back to me. Yeah, that's yeah. it. So we're going to use so, that. So that. So it's it's a big campaign. It's launching on the first of February. It's very exciting. It's okay. a brilliant thing. Final question, uh, Minister Smith. Disposable vapes, where are we at on those? In fact, I was in KMK mm-hmm. recycling earlier today, which is where all the vapes come back to, the ones that are properly disposed of. Mm-hmm. If you are using a vape, you know, if you go to your local convenience store and you'll see a blue box on the counter where you put the batteries back in. You can also put vapes back into that as well. So that's how the vapes are returning. That's how, how, okay. how they return for recycling. They go to this place called KMK mm-hmm, Recycling, mm-hmm. which is the sort of the central place for, for all of Ireland. And then materials need to be then taken out and, and, and removed and the lithium recovered and so on. So it's very important that, that, that we do that. Um, we do have a problem. We have many millions of vapes being used and then disposed of in Ireland. And the vast majority of them are, it's a, and it's a very recent thing. It's, it's really 40 only, million a year. Some yeah, huge so it's Oh, it's like shocking. That. And yeah. it's, it's every car park, mm-hmm. you know, you mm-hmm. see them. And they, what worries me is if you've got toddlers out and about oh, yeah. and they pick th- random things up from the ground and now you have nicotine available on the ground in what looks like a toy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I, I went out to the public and asked, what would you like me to do about mm-hmm. this? Uh, and, you know, we have options. We can either, we could ban the, the vapes completely. 
uh, we could uh, we could put a deposit return scheme on them, like like with the cans and bottles. Um, so we're considering what our options are here, and uh, we're we're certainly going to we're certainly going to act on it. And I'm talking; it's the same problem in other European countries. I'm talking to the other ministers about what they're doing in France and Belgium, um, but we we are going to act on this. And just uh, at the moment. My colleague, Minister Donnelly, is uh, has is bringing in a law that yeah. uh, that bans selling vapes to to children because people under eighteen can just walk into a shop and buy a vape, and there's no restriction. So that has to change as well. And I think there's new legislation then coming to restrict the flavours on vapes. So that that's coming down the tracks as well. So progress is being made. Yeah. Okay. Well, Minister. Pippa Hackett and Oshin Smith. Thank you both for visiting uh, Midlands 103 today and both for joining us on this week's episode of Let's Go Green. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. Well, COP28 is well and truly underway in Dubai, in the Middle East. And to talk us through the latest progress in it. Now, we should say that it is continuing. So, you know, we're recording this on on the Sunday evening and things may change um, since the recording by the time that this is aired. But Caroline O'Doherty of the Irish Independent is in Dubai. Uh, thank you for joining us on link- on Let's Go Green. Thanks, Ashley. Talk us through the first couple of days, Caroline. There was a bit of fanfare on day one when an agreement was reached. Um, but how much can we read into that? It was it was significant. Um okay. The loss and damage fund, as it's called, um, was being pushed around and resisted and argued about for 30 years. And at the last COP, it was actually agreed that, yes, some sort of fund should be established. And that was pretty much it. And a committee will be set up to look at how. That committee has been sitting all year and Ireland has been one of the representative countries on it. And they came up with that, you know, late in the day, um, they came up with a proposal for how it might run. It's very much a compromise proposal because it's going to need uh, it's going to need a place to actually administer these funds, you know, a board to govern how they're distributed, um, you know, people to go to the rich countries to get money from them to go into the fund. And so there's a lot of infrastructure to, you know, anything like that, you know, anything dealing with hundreds of millions and potentially billions down the road needs a lot of work. So it was presumed that um there would be more talking about it um, at this COP. And they had hoped maybe at some time during the COP they would actually get, yes, okay, let's just establish the fund in some form and get the money flowing and we'll build up the infrastructure around it. Day one, that happened. That wasn't expected. Um, So, you know, they're delighted, people who are involved in it. it. There's money already pledged to it, over 500 million euro um, and more to come undoubtedly before the end of COP. Um, and it'll be in a temporary basis. It'll be kind of minded by the World Bank, which isn't everybody's favourite uh, institution. But we're told they'll have very much um, a kind of secretarial role okay. that those the board set up to actually decide where the money goes and who goes to. So that's all good. That was one thing. So this is a a fund that is going to help countries or areas that are directly impacted by climate change. Yes, this is kind of the 
the it's too late fund, if you like. So there's lots of climate funds of different mm-hmm. kinds. We, you know, we've been contributing in some for, year, for years, and they help they help countries, poor, developing, vulnerable countries that are most affected by climate change, to kind of climate proof. You know their their houses, their infrastructure to change maybe the way they do agriculture so that it can better withstand the impacts of climate change. The loss and damage fund is different. There are places that have actually literally lost land and territory because either the um, the sea has come up over it or because it comes up so regularly that what used to be fertile farming land is now gone. It can never be used. Homes can never be put there. So you have people who have actually lost parts of their places that disappeared, uh, or else there's such continuing regular drought that, again, the soil is completely infertile. They've lost, they've lost their homeland, essentially. And a lot of these people end up on migrant ships or they end up in wherever the nearest city is. They're not city people. These cities have shanty towns all over them. You know, they have lost and lost and lost. And this is a way of trying to uh, recompense in some way. And there isn't a precise definition of what it'll be paying for, but it will be paying for trying to reestablish people's homes, um, trying to reestablish their livelihoods, Um, even mental health. You have huge, yeah. you can imagine the trauma of literally knowing that, you know, we're so used to maybe refugee streams because there's a conflict in an area and hopefully they get to go back. There's no going back. These places are now no longer inhabitable. So there's an awful lot of, you know, uh, group trauma going on there. And there's a lot of work needs to be done with communities. Um, you know, even things like, I mean, horrible things like, you know, graveyards are washed away. And so many, many people, there's such huge cultural significance with landmarks um, and places you know, of sacred places, all of that kind of thing. You know, climate change will disrupt entire communities and regions and peoples. So this is a way of in some way helping that. As you can see, it's kind of vague in a way, it's kind of Mm. obvious in a way, and they have to come up with rules and regulations for how it is. But it's very significant because for years, what it does is it essentially says the rich carbon-polluting countries caused harm to the poor non-carbon-polluting countries, and this is an acknowledgement of that historical harm. And that was resisted for a long time because particularly countries like the United States felt it was almost like a class action suit, you know, in the courts. They're coming after us for compensation. And to get that mindset out of it, you know, they didn't want to say, yes, we acknowledge guilt. (laughs) But, you know, that language hasn't been used in negotiations, but that's kind of, I suppose, the equivalent may be offered. So it is significant. You know, the funding is significant. The mindset that, you know, it the mindset set shift that it required for a country like the U.S. to say, yeah, okay, we are responsible. Um, that's highly significant. So that was kind of a good start. Okay, so it's it's a good start. And there had been, I think it's fair to say that given the, that it's in Dubai and it's in the United Arab Emirates, um, there was scepticism around, you know, the location of it and the hosts of it. So that must have given political leaders there a bit of a a bit of a boost in confidence going into this. They were pleased. They definitely were pleased. Now, unfortunately, um, the scepticism that we had at the outset and that many did express at the outset has maybe been reinforced um, in in the days since. That was only day one. We're only on day four. Um, Shortly before this COP began, there was um, uh, a report uh, done by the BBC and the Centre for Climate Reporting. Um, They had uncovered documents um, that showed that in the pre-COP talks, uh, various officials 
from the COP presidency. That's the term given to whoever's in charge, who's hosting the COP this year, who's drive, who's chairing the talks, who has to gather all the... There's a lot of weight on it. It's a very responsible position, or at least it should be. Um, that's Sultan um, Ahmed Al-Jabbar, uh, who is also the chief executive of the United Arab Emirates National Oil Company, ADNA. Um, and in these documents that were uncovered, um, which he has denied ever seeing, um, hasn't denied whether they existed, hasn't suggested to do an investigation to see where they were. But the documents suggest that when pre-talks, COP talks were going on with lots of different countries, um, ADNOC would be mentioned as, you know, while we're at it, um, we reckon, you know, ADNOC could do some business with you. ADNOC could invest in maybe some oil exploration. ADNOC could do this. Absolutely nothing. I mean, this was, was this was the fear. You bring someone who is the head of the national oil company and put him head of a cop, uh, and then we're supposed to believe that there won't be any influence. So he's denied that. Okay, that's one point. And uh, we had a um, an issue that arose today. Um, again, Centre for Climate Reporting can't be good journalists digging up good stories, and the Guardian newspaper. Um, and it involves our own Mary Robinson, would you believe? So about nine days before COP began, Mary Robinson was, in, in, was obviously our former president. Um, she's very involved in climate change campaigning. She works with the elders, which is, I often call it the Active Retirement Association for former world leaders. Um, they get involved in climate justice, justice issues, equality issues all around the world. And she's involved in lots of women's groups, sort of international mm. groups involving women in climate change. There was a full day of events online um, with this group um, and different talks and different contributors. And towards the end of the day, uh, Mary Robinson was on a panel um, and she had invited uh, Sultan Al-Jabbar to come along and talk because she wanted to mention, talk about the role of women because, again, as a conservative Arab nation, women typically don't have high-profile roles. Now, he's very much uh, pushing, and, and it is true that there is good equality in, in terms of political representation, in terms of women in the workplace, women in college, and all that kind of thing. So it is one of the more progressive countries in that way. Um, but Bay Robinson, uh, he does tend to talk a lot. He does tend to go on and on. And he politely said, could, could I just interrupt you there? Because, you know, we're, we're coming very close to COP. And I would like to ask you, you know, will you please lead the way in getting an agreement for a phase out of fossil fuels. And that sounds so obvious to people when they hear about mm-hmm. Kabul. Of course, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? There isn't a wording for a phase out of fossil fuels after 30 years of COPs because so many countries said at the start, at the start well, it's not really fossil fuels or it's not us, our fossil fuels, or, mm-hmm. you know, if we don't use fossil fuels, our economies will collapse. Are you going to pay for that? Or in more recent times, it's been, well, yeah, okay, it's fossil fuels, but we can use carbon capture storage technologies to keep producing oil and gas, but we capture it and capture the carbon emissions somehow and all that. There's been endless excuses as to why you don't need to actually phase out as in get rid of um, oil and gas and coal. There's other ways of handling it. So the, 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 the best they've got was two years ago, which was a phase down of unabated right. coal. Okay. Okay. So, so there's a very qualified kind of way of putting it. Um, so there's a big push this time for get, let's get a phase out in the wording of the agreement. Um, so she asked him, will you push for that? And he, you know, he demurred from that and and then he got a bit 
agitated and said, well, you know, you're a developed country, you could push for that. You know, we we're very small, we're not an oil producing country. But um, I also think he may have thought she was British, which is a bit annoying, um, given some of the comments he made. But he, um, she pushed him again and he pushed back and, you know, and said, well, you know, uh, you are the head of, uh, of ADNOC and you know, we have concerns, you know, that that's your attitude and that, you know, your company is is also expanding. He got very annoyed about that. He said you were reading media, your own media and their lies and making false accusations. And she you know, very politely said, well, if you're actually saying that's not true, that's um, I'm pleased to hear that. But then he kind of went off on a terrible rant and ended up shouting at her and saying you're finger pointing and you must stop it, stop it. And, you know, and you're using your politician and you're using language. He's, she was trying to say, you're not, we don't feel you're acting with an urgency. And he said, you know, in that terrible way, um, you know, well, I am the man in charge. Oh, no. <laughs> um, oh, no. Yeah, he did. Um, you know, and he just wasn't at all pleasant. He was very agitated. He was very ill-tempered. And she was so polite. And mm-hmm. I mean, no fool. She she counted him. He he said that she had said something which she clearly hadn't. Um, you know, he, he started going around. Why are you going after us? You know, why didn't you talk to Norway, who obviously, you know, huge wealth from oil in the past, but is also making huge strides towards renewables, completely flipped it's everything on its head, its energy system. And she said, well, you know, just, I don't accept I've been, you know, selective. I've gone after so many countries. At all. Mm-hmm. Anyway, long story short, he then got into a rant about that she was alarmist um, and that there was no science that backed up this idea that you would have to phase out fossil fuels to reach this aim of keeping global temperature rise to 1.5 degrees. No scenario in which that is necessary, which absolutely turns, you know, eight years of solid (laughs) agreement between our leaders. Now, not agreement on how they do it, but agreement in principle that that's the way we must be aiming for on its head. The man who's leading the cup who's bringing countries together, um, whose job it'll be to urge them on and egg them on and suggest, you know, good wording that we that we can get through and, and rally them and encourage them. And he's saying no science that suggests that we need to face it, fossil fuels, in order to safeguard, you know, the 1.5 degree limit. And I have to say, just reading it and then subsequently listening, it's all online, by the way, all seven hours, seven and a half hours or eight hours of that day's proceedings are online. You know, it was it was really good if the Guardian and the Centre for Climate Rewarding to unearth it because I wouldn't have gone looking for it. It was quite obscure, um, but it's quite shocking. And the reaction has been kind of shock and dismay. Um, and I so think just, like... Mm-hmm. You would wonder had he done his research beforehand as to who Mary Robinson is, because like like I know, in fairness, she's one of those political um, politicians in Ireland who is quite roundly respected and uh, quite frankly, loved by society. I've never heard a bad word said about the lady, Um, but she's incredibly good at and is respected around the world for her ability in diplomacy. And like, it's not just that we think she's great. World leaders respect her and what she says and and how she conducts herself. And she does have like watching interviews of her, even, you know, back on the condom train protests and all of that back in the day and her involvement. She was she's so articulate and good at making a point without showing emotion, you know, without getting overly angry like this 
man did um, the other day that I find it very interesting. It sounds like perhaps he was badly advised going into it as to who he was speaking to or perhaps just didn't take the advice that was offered. He'd met her before. That's the reason she invited him to this. Yeah. Only in, in the past maybe a couple of months, they'd met at another event. And that's why she invited him. So it's almost more worrying that he, he did know exactly who she was and doesn't may talk about respecting women. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, you know, he doesn't want to be challenged. Like, can I say we've only had, it's the tradition at COP that twice a day, usually twice a day, um, you get a press conference with the COP presidency and that will be okay. the COP president and it'll be senior key officials Um you know, and look, they are politicians, although he announced in this uh, online event that she was a politician and sort of playing with words. I don't play with words. I'm a businessman. I don't think that was necessarily, you know, helpful in his image because the fact that he is a businessman was one of the things that worried us all about him. Um, but the, the press conferences, um, we've had one, I suppose, full, relatively easily accessible press conference with Sultan Al-Jabber. And... He talked and talked and talked and talked and talked, took a few questions from very select journalists and didn't particularly answer them and then left. Okay. Um, look, all politicians are good at evading questions, but in uh, this is only the third COP I've been to. But in the others, um, the COP president, whoever it was, was very keen to be up front, to be there, to take lots of questions now that you do not always get a straight answer. But just to be seen, because they very much are the person who's supposed to be driving the tone of the whole proceedings. Yeah. Um, and since that press conference, there was then this edict issued that um, if you wanted to attend a press conference, you had to register the day before. And then you had to be approved and then you'd have to meet at a certain area and be escorted to the press conference. That's just never that, you know, that's a shocker. That hasn't happened before. So, he, again, he's not doing his image. Very well. We know that's how they do things in the United Arab Emirates. But the thing about cops is that those in charge of them are supposed to be very worldly wise, very well traveled, very used to diplomacy, very used to dealing with people of all different cultures, et cetera, et cetera. And they step up and they move out of their comfort zone a little bit and say, well, we're dealing with media from all over and we we, we got to be as flexible as we can and open. He keeps saying it's an open and transparent cop. And I'm sad to say, you know, that cops are... Difficult to be transparent because you're behind the scenes. We're talking in very broad terms here. Yeah. But the documents all day and all night, people are going through texts of this and texts of that and subtext in every paragraph and every, you know, it's very, very detailed. So transparency is a difficult thing anyway because, you know, these are very highly, there are people doing this it's years. Just, it's the nature of the conversations the that they so have to be and diplomacy at work, that that has to be behind closed doors. That's but, fine, but we do have observers doing it. But when it comes to then simplifying that down in the likes of press conferences, or briefings or events, you know, you, there needs to be that openness there at least. And unfortunately, that seems to have, I, if, I, I don't know whether it's gone now for the rest of the COP and we're all going to be wandering around, you know, begging for information from a, the observers who do have passes to get in and watch some of the meetings. And um, it's, it's, yeah, it's a little unsettling how it's turning okay. out at the minute. Well, Caroline, I know you will be following proceedings very closely and writing about them for the Irish Independent and the Irish Independent online, of course, as well, we should, we should say. So uh, thank you very much for uh, keep, well, updating us on the, the latest proceedings in Dubai. And uh, I hope you do enjoy your time there. Mm-hmm.
Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103 and I hope you've been enjoying the show so far this week. Well, as I mentioned a little bit early, we've got some special guests in studio this week who've travelled in especially to tell us about their brand new sustainable company. I'm going to let the young ladies introduce themselves. So we have... Hi, I'm Ella Rose Parade. Hi, I'm Bella Corville. And you're both from... Um, I'm from Tullamore. I'm from Rahan. And your company name, Bella, is? Uh, T. Nodder. And we're from Kilna Presentation School. Fantastic, girls. Well, you're both welcome to studio. And we do have all members of the company involved in studio, but only we're going to put the two of the ladies on air. So, uh, Ella Rose, you might as well give the other two a shout out here sitting beside us. What are their names? Alicia Kosh and Maria Finlay. So, girls, you're very welcome to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. And for listeners, the girls are here because I got a lovely email. So I'm always telling you to send me emails to get featured on Let's Go Green. And it does actually happen. So, uh, Bella, you wrote me the email why did you want to come on air on Let's Go Green? I think uh, we all wanted to promote our products a bit more um, because we're also going to a few markets so we wanted like people to come out and support our business and like have an idea of what we're doing. Okay so Ella Rose tell us about the business what exactly is it? So we're making birdhouses and bird feeders but the thing about the birdhouses is people always say that people make birdhouses but they're not actual real birdhouses. They're just to look nice. But ours are, like, to help the environment, we have actual birdhouses where birds can actually nest in. Fantastic. And Bella, I believe your dad was a bit of assistance with the the start of all of this. So tell me about that. Well, we kind of got got our idea because um, my dad um, always made birdhouses and bird feeders, like, as a hobby, kind of since COVID. So we thought it would be a great idea because... People really are looking towards environmentally ways and, you know, helping the environment and biodiversity. And like in fairness, I think, now and I, and I hate to bring up the C word, but during that period of time, let's say, I think most of us, when we were confined to our localities, started paying a bit more attention to what was going on around us. And, you know, people did get more into bird watching and at least if they're not interested in bird watching, doing something positive for the environment. So tell me then, Ella Rose, about the houses and the feeders. Like, are you carpenters by trade, girls? No, we we never done woodwork before this ever. And we had no idea what we were doing until we, we all went to Bella's house one day. And I remember we were there and Bella and her dad were showing us how to make the bird houses and feeders. And I was thinking, how am I ever going to be able to make these? But we managed and we can make them and it's actually a lot of fun. We enjoy it. Now, I have one of the feeders here beside me and I will take a picture of it for for Instagram, but it's absolutely adorable. Um, Where do you get all the supplies and everything for it, Bella? Uh, We get all of our pallets from shops, like local shops in Tullamore, we're just going to dump them anyway. So we make them out of recycled pallets and the nails from the pallets we also use. Uh, so everything we use is recycled. That's fantastic. So these are, we'd see like say deliveries early morning in, in any town or, or city where the pallets are there for the deliveries and then they kind of pile up. And, you know, if the company doesn't necessarily want to take them back, the delivery company, because obviously they're a bit awkward to deal with, they do get disposed of uh, traditionally. So um, does that mean now you need a bit of a chauffeur to go around town and collect all these pallets so that you can make them? Yeah, well, we're actually lucky, though. My dad and Maria's dad both have vans and I think Alicia's dad has a van, too. 
so we're lucky with that so we can fit loads of um, pallets in there and we can most shops are really happy just to get rid of them anyway so we're lucky with that So the idea being you can buy a house or a feeder now for the uninitiated um, LROs what exactly is the difference? <laughs> um, the bird feeder is you hang it up in a tree and we also give free bird feed with every like purchase and you just leave the bird feed in it and hang it up on the tree and birds will perch and eat from it and then the bird houses you there's diff- we have different ones for different ty- kinds of birds and you nail up onto your tree and the birds will come in and nest there and have, make their nests and everything. Bella, what's the difference between the boxes for different birds? What what do they what why is there a difference? Well, we have uh, one type of birdhouse, um one's for blue tits and the other one is for robins and wrens. And um the one for blue tits is like a, a very small hole. But we got all of our dimensions from um, Birdwatch Ireland, so like they are correct. But um, they're different because um, the blue tip one is a small hole because you don't want like predators coming in, and then the robin one they don't need as much protection. So yeah. Okay. Okay. So uh, that's uh, really clever. And Niall Hatch from Birdwatch Ireland features on the show quite regularly, so <laughs> I'm sure he'll be only delighted to hear this. In fact, I'll send it on to him to, to let him know that you're doing it. So, what's the reaction been like so far? Like this is part of the mini company scheme yeah. in transition year. You know, what do pe- what do your classmates make of it all? Well, people, you know, at first they didn't really support us. The not in like a support way, but. Um, they didn't believe in us. They didn't think that we'd be able to do it. And anyway, we showed them that we could. Was that because there was woodwork involved? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, you know, I I had to do an awful lot of DIY when I became a, a homeowner and I didn't think I could do it. But, you know, a bit of YouTube, a bit of assistance, you, you never know what, what you can um, design. But I know that, Bella, your business teachers in school have been a great help as well. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're really helpful. They're really happy with our products I think it's a great idea so yeah I want to say thanks to them as well Miss Nolan and Miss Delaney and uh, also our parents as well because they're really supportive of our business so yeah exactly and look behind every entrepreneur there's a village of people supporting (laughs) them so you know where um, where are you selling these now because obviously it's a business and you want to try and at least cover your costs so how can people find out about about getting them off you because they would make a lovely Christmas gift Hmm. Well, we have our social media where people can reach out to us there and we can take an order. Or we are selling at the Spallinstown Market. We sold this Saturday and we're hoping to sell the next two Saturdays. And we're also in the Christmas Market in town and the Mukla Community Centre Christmas market. Wow, so you're across multiple venues. God, you've got a, this has gone from a school <laughs> project into a fully fledged business. So, Bella, tell me about the mini company in, in school because I remember doing it in transition year and um, I have to be honest, mine was much less labour intensive. I, what was my company? I made laminated timetables on like a stretchy lanyard <laughs> so you could stick it to your school, you're at the top of the skirt or the jumper and mm. you, you'd always know where you're supposed to be because at that stage in our school it was a bit of a problem. Um, so it wasn't either sustainable, environmentally friendly or in any way creative, let's be honest <laughs> about it. So um, how, what, does the com- what does the mini company look like nowadays in transition year? I think... Um well, we've heard from our teachers and a few people saying like they are starting to look towards environmental ways and like things are recycled. Uh, lots of people do like baking, so we're thinking what could be different and what would people yeah. actually like purchase. So yeah, 
And all of these now, do you go forward to any particular competition or what's the end goal here? We're hoping to anyway. We tried to, we had to do a presentation for Face the Fire um, to see if we were in with a chance to win €500 to put towards our business. We haven't heard the results of that yet. And our business teachers were hoping that we could go into the, what's it called? Enterprise Awards. The Enterprise Awards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we definitely have some young female founders in our midst, which I'm more than delighted to have here in studio on Let's Go Green. And girls, you mentioned your social media accounts, but we might as well give the name. How? What's it called? Our Instagram is T underscore Nador. And um, our Facebook is uh, T Nador. Okay, now how do we spell that, Bella? It's just T-I-N-A-D-U-R. Okay, so if you're in the market and you've not yet gotten all your presents sorted out for this Christmas, I highly recommend you pop down to the markets and we'll get Ella Rose to mention them in a second. Um, But hop on to Instagram or Facebook and look up for T. Nador, am I pronouncing it correctly? Fantastic. We had to get that right beforehand. So T. Nador, if you're looking for it. um, And of course, I'm sure if you contact Kilina Secondary School, they'll be able to send you in the right direction as well. And Ella Rose, give us the markets again. So when and where? The Spallenstown Market, um, every Saturday until Christmas. Um, On next weekend, the Mokla Community Centre Christmas Market. And the weekend after that, hopefully the Christmas Market in the Town Square. Until more. Fantastic. Well, make sure and let us know how you get on in the competition, girls. I'd be yeah. really delighted yeah. to see you be successful in it. And uh, fair play to you. It's a wonderful business idea. And I'm sure we're going to be seeing more from the four of these young ladies in the not too distant future. But that's all we have time for on this week's Let's Go Green. We're going to be back after the break. But first, we have to say a big thanks to the ladies from Kilana Presentation School. Um, Ella Rose, Bella, and we have... Alicia and Maria. Alicia and Maria, sorry, my memory failed, failed me there for a moment. So Alicia and Maria, Ella, Rose and Bella, thank you very much for joining thank us you. on Let's thank Go Green. You. And if you want to feature on Let's Go Green, hop over to midlands103.com, click on the On Air Team button and you can send me, Ashling O'Rourke, a direct message. We'll be back after these. Let's Go Green, sponsored by Airgrid, managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more. You're listening to Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. And a couple of weeks back, Karen Moore, the Leash Community Climate Action Officer, spoke to us about the new Community Climate Action Fund that opens up this month and it's offering groups 100% funding for climate action projects. So on the same day as the fund officially launches this coming Wednesday, Karen's holding a climate action workshop with environmental and community activator Aoife Munn. So go along to the council chamber in County Hall, Port Leash at 6.45 on Wednesday, the 6th of December and find out how best your group can apply for the fund. So you might remember we went through that fund and how the fund is and it is available in, in every locality, in every county. So if you're not from Leash and you're not eligible to apply for this particular one, get on to your community climate action officer at your local authority to find out about your locality and how they're rolling out 
the uh, Community Climate Action Fund there. But the Leash One opens up officially on Wednesday and Dr Karen Moore will be holding a workshop on Wednesday evening in the council chamber in the County Hall in Port Leash. So that's at 6.45. So if you are involved in the community group or you have an idea for a project that you want to avail of funding for, and it is, it's like 100% funding. So it's... um. You know, it's well worth making the effort to go along on Wednesday evening. I want to give a shout out once again to the young entrepreneurs from Kilina Presentation School and their mini company, Tier Nador. I loved the bird feeder that I got. And if you look at my Instagram at thecommunicationscoach.ie, you will see a wee video of it hanging proudly in our back garden at home. So best of luck to the girls in that competition that they mentioned. And I suspect we will be hearing more from the Tiernador crew in the not too distant future. I think we have some young female founders in the making there. But Caroline O'Doherty is staying in Dubai this week for COP28. So she's agreed to come back and give us the update before it wraps up next week. So if you were interested in the conversation I had tonight with Caroline O'Doherty, she has agreed to come back and speak to us for next week's episode of Let's Go Green to give us the inside track on what's going on at COP28. I'm afraid, though, that is all we have time for on this week's episode of Let's Go Green. So please do stay safe. I hope you enjoyed the show. And remember, if you'd like to send an item to me for a suggestion for the show, if you'd like to come on the show to talk about a project that you are involved in, please do get in contact with me. Go on to the midlands103.com website. There's a button that you'll find there that says On Air Team. Look for my name, Ashling O'Rourke, click on my face and literally click on my face and um, you will see an option to send me an email. And that's how the ladies from the presentation, Zachary School and Kilnack get on the show. It's how many guests get on the show. So please do get in contact. Let me know what you're up to. Have you got any big plans, sustainability and environmental protection wise for 2024? Because I want to hear from you. So please do get in contact with me. Thanks as always to those who contributed to this week's episode of the show. Thanks to you for listening and I'll be back same time next week with another edition of Let's Go Green here on Midlands 103. Let's Go Green sponsored by Airgrid managing and operating Ireland's electricity grid for a cleaner energy future. Check out airgrid.ie for more.